love all the chatter. Wonderful. Hey, I just want to say before I get started into, into the Word of God to, to say thank you to both uh, Dave uh, for preaching the Word last week to us. Uh, we got the opportunities. We were, we were driving back uh, to have him uh, on audibly while I was driving, not visually on YouTube potentially, but uh, be able to listen to him and thankful for bringing the Word, Dave, to us. And then to Pastor Shea the week before uh, for bringing the Word as well. And uh, we value uh, the preaching of God's word, and so to be away and to have others in the pulpit, you're just going to know you're going to get another dose of God's word, a heavy dose of God's word um, here at Redemption Hill Bible Church, no matter who it is, and uh, thankful for the bench that we have uh, to continue to just rotate people in and to, to give, give breaks when needed, and uh, so thankful to you guys, so appreciate that uh, greatly. If you're new here, thank you, thank you for coming. The, the habit of our church is to open up God's word and to spend time in God's Word together, and we preach through books of the Bible. And uh, the way that we do that now is we are in Second Peter, and uh, appreciate you guys coming. If you have any questions, I, I want to meet you. Please don't don't be shy. Come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you and greet you, and if answer any questions that you have about our church. Um, but why don't you grab that Bible that you have, open it up to Second Peter. We are talking about false teachers and false prophets, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in Second Peter uh, about that. In fact, all of chapter 2 is about false prophets and false teachers, and a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of kicked off this chapter together, uh, looking at the first verse, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, about false prophets, and we're going to continue that today. We're going to continue that for the next two weeks moving forward, working our way through this, this chapter on false teachers. But let me just read for us to give us a bit of a runway here. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and then I'll commit our time to the Lord and we'll, we'll study what God has for us. This is what it says, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would embed this section of the Word of God deep, not into our brains, but deep into our hearts. Allow it to transform us and bring us closer to you by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1869... The very first synthetic plastic was created or invented by John Wesley Hyatt. He was inspired by the fact that there was the growing popularity of billiards happening, the game, the pool game, and the strain of supply on the natural, genuine ivory that was made through the slaughter of wild elephants. So what he did is he offered a $10,000 reward for anybody who could come up with a fake alternative to ivory. 
In doing so, Hyatt, Hyatt discovered a plastic that could be crafted into a variety of shapes. It was made to imitate natural substances like a tortoise shell, a horn, linen, and of course, ivory. And as I was thinking about that, this idea of plastic, the fact that it is made to look real but is actually a fake, I thought that is exactly what these false prophets and these false teachers are. These plastics that were made are, are made to imitate the right thing or the real thing. Right now, we have leather that is made into plastic or plastic leather. We have wood that is now plastic wood. Cups, utensils are made plastic, ivory, linen, even the facade on walls, masonry, all of it is now made out of plastic, and all of it is designed to imitate the genuine real thing. This plastic, when it was first created, was considered flimsy, it was cheap, it was superficial, but people have a hard time differentiating between what is real and what is fake, what is plastic, and what is genuine. And such is the case for the false teacher. The false teacher and the false prophet are nothing more than a superficial substitute for the real thing. At first glance, they look and sound genuine. They look and sound real. But they are nothing more than a fake. You could say this, as I was thinking about this this week, you could say that false teachers are plastic preachers. From afar, they look the part, but a close investigation reveals that the preacher is nothing more than dis disingenuous. So the question is this, as we come to 2 Peter with that in mind, is how do you determine then the difference between a true prophet, a true teacher, and a fake one. How do you know the difference? This is the concern of Peter as he writes an entire chapter on false teachers and false prophets. He wants them to understand the difference between what is fake and what is real, what is truth and what is error. And he doesn't just jump in. In chapter 2, he gives us all of chapter 1 as a runway for us to be ready for chapter 2. In chapter 1, he makes sure of this, that you know matters of salvation in verses 1 and 2, that you know matters of the sufficiency of the power of Jesus Christ in verses 3 and 4. He wants us to understand matters of sanctification in verses 6 all the way down to verse 15, and he wants us to know matters of Scripture in verses 16 all the way down to 21, he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we are prepared and ready for when false teachers arise. We need to know the truth. To understand error, we need to know truth. We don't need to study error, we need to study the truth. And Peter's concern is this, is that the church will fall prey to the charlatan. The church will fall prey to these deceptive preachers and teachers. It's interesting, in chapter 2, just a brief overview here, in all of chapter 2, the 22 verses that are dedicated to false preachers and false teachers, there is not one call to action. There are no commands. 
There are no admonitions. There are no imperatives. The entire chapter is just pure, terrifying description of what will happen to false teachers and to those who follow them. In fact, he spends the first three verses describing the false teacher, and then he, and then he dedicates verses 4 all the way down to verse 22 to the understanding of what will happen to false teachers and those who follow them. And what's going to happen to them is that they are going to be destroyed. Judgment is coming. 18 verses on the judgment of false teachers. Peter is very concerned. I can't imagine today, if Peter was around today, the concern that he had, if this was the concern he had then, what kind of concern would Peter have today? You think these names that he calls them, wild beasts, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, for what he used then, what kind of words would he use today? Because false preachers and false teachers are everywhere. Well, let's look at some of these features then of a false prophet. We looked at it last week, and we said this, number one, their arrival is assured, verse 1, but as false prophets also arose among the people, talking about the time in the Old Testament, and we went back and we looked at that, the false prophets and the false teachers that arose, just like they were there in the Old Testament, they are also here. But as false prophets also uh, among you, also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They came then, they will come now. It is assured, wherever there is truth, there will be a counterfeit. Number two, their strategy is subtle. It says what? Who will what? Secretly bring in destructive heresies. No false prophet and no false teacher stands in the pulpit and says this. I'm a false teacher. I am going to preach to you lies and deception. You ready? Let's go. Nobody does that. Nobody walks around with, a, with a, a nameplate on their back saying false prophet or on their front or on their chest. It is secretive. Like a Trojan horse, they come in, they find their way into small groups, pulpits, church boards, deceptively luring people away in entire churches. They're subtle. Which brings us to this, and if you want more information on that, you can go back and listen to that online if you'd like. But number three is this, and we've got a number of these to work through, but number three is this, and we'll spend the most time here. It is this, their destruction, their doctrine is destructive. How do you identify a false teacher? Well, you know it because their doctrine is destructive. Look what it says. They secretly what? Bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. This is by far the most damaging thing that a false teacher does. They teach a doctrine that is destructive to the soul. You say, well, well what does that mean? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Well, what they do is they teach a doctrine that comes without regeneration, They teach lies, they teach heresy, as it says there. Their teaching actually brings death, not life. Their teaching brings judgment, not reward. 
their teaching destroys. And he says there it's heresies. These are self-designed religious lies. The word here has to do with division. It has to do with faction where these false teachers and these leaders would come in and they'd see the truth and they'd find ways to split a group up and to get them to choose and to say, hey, is this the truth or is this the truth? They bring in lies and heresies of destructions to the naive, those who don't know the truth, and it gets them to think, hey, maybe this is the truth. Maybe this is the way, and it, and it causes them to make the choice between what is truth and what is error. And these heresies can include anything from denying Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God, denying the Old Testament as Scripture, as the total truth, denying the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. It could include denying Jesus uh, as God, denying the virgin birth, denying the work and power of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. It can be all of those things, but it's even more than that. Look even closely at the text. It says this. It says, they are secretly bringing in destructive heresies, and then this word, even including or, or even as much as or going as far as denying the master. The emphasis here, listen, that Peter wants to make is this, is that these false teachers and these pro false prophets would do the unthinkable. They would say that Jesus is the master, but then their life would betray their very words. So what does a false teacher do? They teach that you can believe in the master, you can believe in Jesus, but you do not need to follow his rule. You do not need to submit your life to him. You do not need to make him the Lord of your life. They deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. They would even go as far to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is the master, but you don't need to live for him. They would deny him in that way. They teach and preach a free grace. No rules, just right. No obedience. This word here for deny it says they're denying. It's used in the, the present tense. It means this, not just a one-time denial, because we know the person who wrote this book had a one-time, two-time, three-time denial. But this is a continual lifestyle of denying the claims of their master upon them. And Peter's ultimate point is this, they do not belong to Jesus Christ. They live a life of continual denial of Jesus as Lord. That word there for master, it means this, it means the supreme authority. It originally indicated an absolute unrestricted authority. But this word specifically was, 
was only used by the Greeks in reference to a god. The master, Jesus Christ, is the undisputed owner. He's the owner of, in this case, speaking of an estate, where everyone would be underneath their rule and their authority. And false teachers deny that authority in their lives. They have a verbal belief in Jesus. They may even preach and teach verbally that Jesus is Lord. They have biblical doctrine. They say the right things. But then they deny all of what they say by the life that they live. Even denying the master that bought them. They know. They know what redemption is. They know the power of Jesus Christ and the cross. They, they know these things. They know what that word means to, to buy them out of the marketplace of sin. They, they know that, but they do not have newness of life because they not, have not committed their life to the master. Only their words. They do not belong to God. So how do you identify a false teacher? Here's how you identify a false teacher. You don't look at their theology. You look at their lives. Do they follow Jesus Christ with their actions and with their deeds, with their submission to authority? I want you to see this because Jesus talked about this very thing. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talked about this and said this very thing about these false prophets and these false teachers. In Matthew chapter 7, in the, it was known as the Sermon on the Mount. Let's start in verse 12. This is so helpful. Verse 12, so whatever you, you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and by it is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing are inwardly ravenous wolves. Verse 16, you will recognize them, what? By their fruits. How do you recognize a false teacher? By their life. By their life. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So our healthy tree bears good fruit, and by the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, here it is again, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, some of the most frightening words in the entire Bible. But the one who does the will of my father 
who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is the context of this statement? The context here is what? False prophets and false teachers who claim to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but deny the fact that He is their Lord. It's a verbal profession. Their lifestyle betrays what they say. You say, is this anywhere else in the Bible? Yes. In James chapter 2, he says this, that faith without works is dead. That when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, simultaneously, you will make him the Lord of your life. You will submit to him as the master of your life. Is that a process? 1,000%. It's called sanctification. It is a lifelong process. But there is a commitment to Jesus Christ that you fall underneath him as your master. You fall underneath him as your Lord. You fall underneath him as the sole authority that governs your entire life. And you live for him and you pursue him and you love him. And the false teacher says, you don't have to do that. You can live however you want. Just as long as you just say the words, I believe in Jesus. Jesus said it. James has said it. Jesus said, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. The example of Jesus Christ himself. Christ was a selfless Christ, yet so many preach a selfish gospel. We have an obedient Christ, but a disobedient Christianity. That doesn't make any sense. We have a committed, submissive Christ, so why a gospel without commitment, without allegiance, without devotion, without, without obedience to him? A, a, a gospel without submission to Jesus Christ when the life of Jesus Christ was entirely submission to God the Father. But we want to preach a gospel without commitment. No rules. Doesn't his death on the cross demand our allegiance? If we're going to live for Christ, shouldn't we expect them to suffer? Shouldn't we expect them to, to sacrifice? Pursue him above all else? It's a false doctrine to teach that following Christ means that I can live however I want. I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. As long as I just verbalize the words, I believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus from the heart is to submit to him, is to become like him in every way, knowing that you cannot do it apart from his power and apart from his grace. We are entirely, listen, the Christian is excited to say, I am entirely dependent on Christ 
for my salvation. I'm entirely dependent on Christ for my sanctification. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I want to do. It's all about Christ within me. For I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives within me. The false teacher is what? As Peter says, he what? He will deny Christ as master. It's interesting. The characteristic of a false teacher is their lifestyle. You want to know what the only characteristic of a shepherd and pastor is in the Bible? Where do you go to find what a, what a pastor shepherd should look like? in the Bible. You go to Titus chapter 1, and you go to 1 Timothy 3, and what is there a list of? All character qualities. All character qualities. So if we're going to find out what a true pastor shepherd is, we look at their character. If we're going to find out what a false one is, what do we look at? We look at their character. Anybody can say whatever they want, but we look at their character. And that's what Peter is saying here. It leads to number, what are we up to? Number four. Number four is this then. Their pattern is popular. Well, of course it is. Who wouldn't want that Christianity? Right? Yeah, I'll take that Christianity. The one where I don't have to make any commitments? Yeah, give me that one. Well, of course then. It says what? Many will follow. Many will follow because what? There's no sacrifice needed. I want the Christianity where the pastor says nothing about holiness nothing about repentance. I want the Christianity where there is no judgment, where there's good feelings and self-help. I want messages of happiness and and positive thinking. Give me that one. Well, of course, what are you going to get? You're going to get a very wide road for people to be on. The very wide road that Jesus spoke of that leads to what? Destruction. So, of course, Their pattern is very popular because they get to live however I want. I get Jesus plus my sin. Sign me up for that. (laughs) Many are going to follow that. That's why Jesus said that the wide road leads to destruction and the narrow road leads to life. And then in the very next phrase, the very next word after he says that is what? Beware. Be very careful. Because the false prophets are going out there to pull you into the wide road. And so what does he say? He says what? The follow what? Many will follow what? Their sensualities. Many are going to follow their sensualities. 2 Peter 2.18, he says this, this very thing for... Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice what? By sensual passions of the flesh... Those who are barely escaping from those who live in air, the, the naive. They're, they're right on the line, wondering about what Christianity is all about. And, and the false teacher comes in and says, hey, you can have your sin plus Jesus. Come, come over here. Look at all these people. Look at how fun it is. Look at how great it is and wonderful it is. Enticed with all kinds of sensualities. This word originally had the idea of an excess or a lack of restraint. 
It came to convey the idea of shameless excess and the absence of restraint, especially with sexual excess. Indulgence without shame. Indulgence without concern of what others would even think or may even be affected or abide. Undisciplined. And because of that, they try to hide their wrongdoing. In Jude, chapter 1, verse 4, Jude only has one chapter. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And what? And deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So, of course, their, their path is wide, and many are going to follow it because they lure people in with sensualities. No discipline. You can have whatever you want in this Christianity. I'm going to make it sound really good, but go ahead and live however you want. We're not calling anybody to holiness. So you identify a false teacher, not always theological, but ethical. They may say the right things, but their actions give them away. They're imposters, they're fake, and they've mastered the language, but not the lifestyle. What leads to number five is this. Their ministry is maligning. This is another. Well, of course it is. They fall them into their sensualities, and because of the way of the truth, because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. It means to speak disrespectfully, it demeans, it maligns, it hurts the reputation of another. And what is happening is the world looks at the church and they laugh. The church is slandered, Christianity is mocked. The way of the truth is maligned because of the false prophets and false teachers. And I could easily just go on this whole rabbit trail and just talk about all the, the scandals in Christianity, but it's, it's just way too easy. I don't even have to. The pursuit of sexual sin, perversions, greed, fame, and the large crowds that will cover for them, the world looks at all of this and it mocks Jesus Christ. Their ministry maligns the name of Christ. Cross-reference for you is just Romans 2, 23 and 24. But this gets us to number six then. Their purpose is profit. Their purpose is profit. In their greed, what it says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. What is their purpose? Their purpose is to exploit you with false words so that they can profit from you. If you look down in verse 14, it says this, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls, and here it is, they have hearts trained in greed. They have hearts 
trained in greed. What they want to do is twist the word of God in such a way that will exploit you. And they do that with false words so that you can fatten their pockets. They're trained in this. Their hearts know only this. They're greedy for more, greedy for gain, greedy for wealth. But here's the most interesting thing here. It says this, they, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That word for false, you ready for this? It's the word plastos. It's where we get the word for plastic. All of it is twisted and molded and fabricated to deceive the congregation. It looks real, but it's fake. The word literally means this, to form, to fashion, or mold any soft substance in such a way, like wax or clay. It refers to words that are false in view of the fact that they are made up or fabricated. These, are, these words are mentally constructed by these liars without any basis of fact. You ever listen to one false preacher, one false teacher, and, and they say all these things, and they're just going off uh, on something, and, and you, and you kind of stop and go, what in the world was that? You just scratch your head saying, they said a whole lot of nothing, but it felt kind of right. But who cares what they actually said? It felt right. That's what's happening is this, this twisting and molding and, and a little bit of scripture here and a, and a little bit of truth here. And, and it's fashioned in such a way to exploit the mind, to exploit the heart that it is naive and doesn't understand so that you would be able to fill and feed their ego, fill and feed their congregation, fill and feed their greed. And Peter says this, it's plastic. It's not real. It may look real from afar, but get up close and you'll find out. The whole thing is fabricated. These teachers are more concerned about who's on their mailing list than they are whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're driven by crowds. They're driven by what brings the most profit. And it goes something like this. What's going on in the culture? What's bringing in the people and the crowds to the businesses? And they say, hey, let's take those ideas. Let's take what's winning the culture and let's bring that into the church. And we'll take the cultural ideas, we'll bring them into the church, and then we'll, we'll take scripture, we'll pull one verse here, we'll pull one section out of here, we'll infuse it into the culture because that's what's drawing in the people. And they then they start teaching and preaching the culture more than they start preaching and teaching the word of God because the word of God isn't drawing the people, but the culture is. The ideas of the world are. But you got to make it biblical, so let's sprinkle in a little bit of the word of God because a broken clock is right at least twice a day. 
So let's sprinkle in the word and get everybody to think that, hey, this is actually the truth. And in doing so, I'll be able to gain the following that I so desperately need and my heart so desperately craves. They follow the money. They follow the crowds. And the gospel becomes commercialized. A way to feed a greedy heart. Paul con- con- contrasts this in a different way in 1 Thessalonians 2.5. He defends the integrity of his own ministry to the church in Thessalonians. He said, we didn't come with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And he says this, God is witness. And in Acts 20.33, he says a, a similar thing. He to the church in Ephesus, to the elders there, he says, we coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You say, Joe, why is it that God allows this? Why is it that God allows false prophets and false teachers? Right? Why does he do this? It maligns the gospel. I believe one of the reasons why God does this, and we'll, we'll end with this, we'll pick it up next week with some more, but he allows false teachers to roam and to deceive, listen, as a pruning process to separate the sheep from the goats. It prunes the church. Because what's going to happen is, is, A false teacher, like a magnet, is going to seduce and bring over all those who do not believe and know the truth. They're going to follow what they are. They're going to attract those who don't know the truth. They're going to attract the naive. They're going to cling to their every move. They're going to love everything about what they say and everything that they are. They're going to follow them, and they're going to lead them right into destruction. But the genuine believer, they have their spiritual antennas up. They're not going to be deceived by the false prophet. They're not going to be deceived by the false teacher. They're going to be alerted to the dangers, and they're going to flee from that. What happens then is it begins to separate believers from the unbeliever. And so what does Peter always go back to? What does he end his entire book on? He goes back to this. You need to know the word of God. You need to grow in grace and truth time and time again so that what? You would have your spiritual antennas up so that you are not drawn away by a false prophet and a false teacher. And I guess by way of application, let me just ask this question. Okay, this is the question I need you to answer. What are you attracted to? What are you attracted to? What kind of leader do you want to follow? And men, where are the men who are going to stand up and defend the word of God? Where are the men who are going to say, hey, I want to teach the truth because nobody else is. I want to lead that Bible study because nobody else is, 
and we need the truth, and we need people who are going to share the truth and know the truth and impart that truth to the, to the next generation of believers who are naive and just don't know it. we got plenty of false prophets out there. What we need are true teachers of the Word of God who are willing to be trained to be able to teach the next generation. Where are the men to do that? Knowing this, that it is a narrow road. So what are you attracted to? And where are the men who want to stand up and lead? Knowing that you will not be popular for it. Well, next week, I think I've got three more. It may turn into four, five, or six more. I don't know, because I'm just loving what Peter is saying. But let's pray. We'll be done. Lord, thank you for our time in your word. We need to hear truths like this. Not only for us to be alert of the false teachers that are out there, but we need it even to check our own hearts and our own lives. To ask questions like, what is it that we're attracted to? Are we attracted to the truth? Are we attracted to that which shines and glimmers and attracts people and fame and notoriety and popularity but is only plastic and fake what do our hearts truly desire Lord I pray in the study of this that our spiritual alarm system would be sensitive to air that it would be strengthened by the truth so we'd be able to detect a false prophet and a false teacher when we hear one. So we'd have the courage and the boldness to, to turn away from that and to run towards the truth. The psalmist said that you are our refuge and our strength. So Lord, help us to run back to the truth over and over and over again and to not fall asleep on the reality that there are those who are trying to deceive us and to pull us onto the road that is wide that leads to destruction lord we're so thankful for the gospel so thankful that you are the great shepherd and that you will keep us from falling away. But yet, Lord, help us to stay alert. In Jesus' name, amen.